Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Common Sense Show. Glad to be with you. We are the show Freeing America, One Enslaved Mind at a Time. My name is Dave Hodges. I'm the host, and we're really glad to be with you. We're brought to you by Noble Gold. And if you are worried about your retirement in the banks, you should be. If you're worried about your bank account, you should be. Let me send you a free information packet that will give you options on how you can protect these nest eggs. Because the Dodd-Frank Law of 2010 says the banks can take it whenever they want. Don't think for a second they won't use this to cushion their fall. So let me send you a free information packet. Go to DaveHodgesGold.com. That's DaveHodgesGold.com. FTC warning, all investments are inherently risky. Past performance can't be indicative of future performance. I've been a customer of Noble Gold for five years after advertising for six I love Noble Gold. Let me help you plan for the future. DaveHodgesGold.com We're coming up on our guest, Dane Wigginton. Stay tuned. Hey, everybody. Dave Hodges here, host of The Common Sense Show. Glad you could join us back here. Thanks for staying with us through that first break. And uh, we have Dane Wigginton on with us from, uh, well, let's put it this way, from everything climate change that's not good. That's what we're going to be talking about today. And we have a starting point with what's going on with the fires, but I'm sure we'll leave that and expand it because this is, uh, I believe, an all-out war on humanity. And Dane, welcome to the show, and I hope I categorized that correctly. Thank you, Dave. Certainly not any other way to look at it. When we have governments around the globe colluding and cooperating with the saturating the atmosphere with not just weather disrupting particles, but the effect on our health, ecosystems, crops, fisheries. Uh, this is uh, really has to be considered not just weather warfare, but biological warfare as well. Okay, interesting. W- well put. Well, let's start with what we were talking about in our pre-air discussion about the fires in the Northeast and uh, what the peer-reviewed studies are saying. Not your opinion, but peer-reviewed studies. Let's go there. In, in regard to the epic wildfires occurring, not just in Canada, but actually Siberia, we have Greece in full-blown burn down right now at the moment. We have Australia already being prepped for another season of even worse fires than they had uh, two or three years ago. In regard to the wildfires, we can most directly attribute that to climate intervention operations. And that's, that's not a denial of the poor stewardship of the planet from our species. We've been very poor stewards, so not, not denying any of that. But what I'm saying is that based on the laws of physics, we we have to have more rain on a warming planet, have to. 7% more moisture held in the atmosphere for every degree C of warming. If that's not occurring, there's a factor that we're not being told about. That factor is climate engineering. So in regard to the fires, it disrupts the hydrological cycle, which means they can cut precipitation off to any region for as long as they want. And that's exactly what they're doing. We have toxic elements in the rain, aluminum, barium, strontium, manganese, Graphene now, we know that these elements, especially in the case of aluminum, affect root systems and soil microbiomes. So the trees shut down nutrient uptake. They start to die a slow, protracted death. We know these particles are incendiaries. It's an incendiary dust settling on the forest foliage. They're electrically conductive, which means it builds up static in the atmosphere and produces more dry lightning. From every conceivable direction, climate engineering is a, is a core part of the setting the template for these fires, Dave, and I want to stress that's a separate subject from the source of ignition. The ignitions were very suspect as well. I want to to mention that. I I watched that on satellite imagery when it happened, and the fires ignited almost simultaneously in many regions. 
There were no convective storms overhead. That certainly looks like some sort of coordinated arson effort. But the forests are burning with such ferocity because of what climate engineering has done to prepare the template for this to happen. And I'll end with this. We found a U.S. military document, 140 pages long. It's posted at geoengineeringwatch.org, our website. We're the largest in the world on this subject. No commercials, no politics. That military document is titled Forest Fires as a Military Weapon. And it names about 18 locations within the North American continent within this document. Why would they do that? And final backup on this, we, we have peer-reviewed science study advocating for the burning of northern latitude forests to provide to mimic the cooling effects of a volcano to provide temporary cooling for the planet how insane is that and your listeners can find that document in one of our most important reports titled wildfires as a wildfires serve geoengineering agenda excuse me okay uh that's just incredible that they're thinking is this part of the dimming the sun that we read about Yes. Yes. In fact, again, in their in their myopic sort of pharmaceutical industrial approach to the planet uh, and, and try to conceptualize the so-called science community, climate science community. That's advocating. You see these articles coming out from the White House now where they say they're studying this as if it hasn't already been going on for over seven decades already. And think of the insanely simplistic and myopic approach of gee we'll just put a bunch of toxic filth into the atmosphere and block some of the sun and everything will be fine again think how absurd that is and and i want to stress this as, as i mentioned to you off the air there is nothing benevolent in these programs those that are ultimately behind these programs are not benevolent in any way shape or form we know weather is being used as a weapon all over the world we see a systematic targeting of agricultural producing regions we see countries that don't conform with the dictates of empire are crushed, whether it's flash flood, flash drought. And one final example on that, Dave, and this is this really brings it into more clarity. Immediately after 9-11, General Wesley Clark, the former NATO Supreme Commander, was given a list of Middle Eastern countries that were to be targeted after 9-11, a list that clearly existed before 9-11. Every one of those Middle Eastern countries subsequently underwent a once-in-1,000-year drought, destabilizing their food supplies, thus destabilizing their populations. Not an accident. That's that's far beyond anything that could be attributed to coincidence. And to back that up, we have the leaders of some of those countries, in the case of Iran, on the floor of the UN, stating NATO was cutting off their precipitation. They're doing the same thing to U.S. states. So who is really the enemy here? Yeah, I, I hear you. Is this part of uh, a document that was released to me before it ever became public called Air Force Owning the Weather 2025? It's all part of the same picture. Correct. Okay. Okay. Because many people would... Many people ask, why would the military want to control the weather? And the response to that is, why wouldn't they want to control the weather? Consider this weapon. And they have been. This is a historical fact. We have Project Popeye in Vietnam that was so successful at controlling rain over Vietnam that by the 70s, international treaties were passed forbidding this type of warfare. Not that anybody pays attention to those treaties. But with this weapon, government can and our government is neck deep in this more than any other government because it's bigger than the next 10 biggest militaries combined they can bring populations to their knees without those populations ever even knowing they're under assault and that unfortunately sadly and alarmingly includes u.s populations yeah i i recall reading periodically about these weather war treaties 
And yet, on the other hand, the mainstream media will tell you that technology is mythical, it's science fiction, it doesn't exist. Well, think how absurd that is. We have patents for weather modification going back to the 1800s. We have film footage, and this is on our groundbreaking documentary about climate engineering. It is a standard on the subject called The Dimming. It's posted on the homepage of geoengineeringwatch.org. We, we put well into six figures into that film. We made it available for free to the public the moment it was done. We have film footage in that documentary of biplanes in 1920 with patented aerosol dispersion mechanisms on them, flying in formation and dispersing this in 1920, over 100 years ago. And we have the so-called matrix media and the so-called climate science community pretending we don't have the technology to do this. It's completely absurd. Is that loosely what we'd refer to as chemtrails going back to the 20s? Yes. And the term is descriptive, I grant. And it's okay for, for personal conversations. What I would suggest to your followers, though, is that if they're trying to introduce this issue to media, an elected official, any environmental organization, they should stick to the science terms and they can't be marginalized in. Geoengineering, climate engineering, solar radiation management. If they stick to those terms, they won't be able to be marginalized nearly so easily. And that helps us to gain traction in the fight. Okay, I understand what you're saying. So this uh, geoengineering, in, in recent press releases, I've read that they plan to dim the sun and they describe aerosolization of the atmosphere in doing so. And my first reaction in layman's terms they're admitting to what I've known for 30 years, chemtrailing. Is is that an accurate correct. depiction? Absolutely correct. Why, why are they making this public now, in your opinion? I don't think they can hide it much longer, and I think they know that. And the damage done from climate engineering is manifesting by the day. It's making an already bad situation far worse, not better. And we have the so-called environmentalist community that continues to pretend that this isn't going on. And that's simply criminal at this point. And yeah. our former attorneys at geoengineeringwatch.org spoke to all the major environmental group attorneys, WWF, Greenpeace, Sierra Club, all of them. None of them will address this issue because they don't want to lose their 501c3 nonprofit. Is that not the epitome of hypocrisy? So again, there I don't care what a person's perspective is in the climate or the state of the climate. There's no legitimate discussion about climate anything from any perspective without first and foremost addressing this single biggest part of the puzzle and that's not to deny all the other forms of damage we've done to the planet i'm not denying that but i'm saying that when you have intentional programs to disrupt the climate uh with again materials that are so ubiquitously distributed around the globe it is totally disrailed derailed and is decimating the planet's life support systems from top to bottom now, you mentioned the 501c3 effect uh, with regard to the, uh, how should we say, environmental agencies, I think is the best way to describe them. And the 501c3 effect, I see it too in other elements of my work. I see it like with what pastors can say from the pulpit. If they got yes. political, let's say about the topic of abortion, for example, they could have their tax-exempt status stripped from them and be yep. forced to even pay back taxes. So is that the same pressure that you just referenced with regard to environmental organizations? Absolutely the same. Absolutely. And they, they know how long their leash is and they're not about to go to the end of it. Okay. So even though if you go to them with dogmatic proof, peer-reviewed proof 
they're still going to say, hear no evil, see no evil to protect their tax exempt status. Exactly right. And so okay. let's let's take this just a tad further in, into the so-called environmental movement, the green movement. And I, I want to stretch your listeners. I'm I'm off the grid. I have a background in renewable energy. I worked for Bechtel Power. I worked on one of the first commercial solar plants in the U.S. in the 1980s. My, my home has wind, hydro and solar. It's better than straight up burning of carbon fuel, but it's not going to save us. It's no panacea and it's being sold as it is. We have the climate engineering issue itself. Let's plug this into those that deny this. Okay, the environmental groups, the same groups that are pushing green energy are denying climate engineering. Geoengineering radically reduces solar power because it blocks direct sunlight. And I mean radical. That's That's what got me into this fight to begin with. I was losing 60, 70, sometimes 80 percent of my solar voltaic uptake from what climate engineering was emitting into the air. That's not an 80% loss of direct sunlight or, or overall light, excuse me. It's a loss of direct sunlight and solar panels don't function then. So we have commercial solar plants now producing half what their design output was because climate engineering is blocking the sun. It also affects convection, which affects wind flow at the surface. So we have now wind turbines that are experiencing what's being termed as a, a wind drought. So they're not producing anywhere near what they were designed to and now we have hydropower. We have, you, you know, Dave, the low water levels in Lake Mead and Lake Powell, so mm-hmm. low that they may have to shut down the hydro production. That is also a direct result of climate engineering affecting the hydrological cycle. So how absurd is it for these so-called green groups and green people to pretend that so-called renewable energy, which it isn't, is going to save us and then deny climate engineering, which is decimating all three forms of alternative energy? How absurd is that? Now, I want to get into the percentage. I, I was reading that Bill Gates planned to dim the earth with lower sunlight uh, yield by 18%, thus affecting crop yield. That was the article I read of concern. Mm-hmm. It, what you're saying is the interference in direct sunlight is a lot higher than 18%. It's been estimated at 20 to 30%, depending on the, tar- the part of the world you're in. Again, that's not a 20 to 30% loss of overall light but it's direct sunlight and that's a massive Mm -hmm. problem so not only is that affecting photosynthesis in ways that we don't know or fully understand it's destroying the ozone layer and now we're getting extraordinarily high amounts of uvb radiation on the surface which is decimating photosynthesis also not just uvb high levels which we've measured some uvb levels 10 times higher than we're being disclosed we're getting uvc on the surface and that's the last spectrum of UV radiation before X-ray. I think we know how harmful that is. On crop production and thus food for populations, there's other factors also affected by climate engineering. These are desiccant particles. They absorb atmospheric relative humidity. So you're, you're seeing radically lower humidities in many regions than historically was the case. So you have the stomata, which is the respiratory ports for trees, flora, crops, that's the, that's the way they breathe. They absorb carbon, they release oxygen, that allows them to grow. The stomata is shutting on organisms. So the forests don't smell like a forest anymore. They literally have no forest smell anymore because the trees are not respirating. They're not growing, they're not breathing. They're dying from the roots up, from the top down. Again, climate engineering inseparable from all of this. And that's something, it's called vapor pressure deficit, by the way. That's the, the acronym for what VPD for what's occurring with all forms of flora 
this is directly related to climate engineering and the devastating effects it's having on the atmosphere. My goodness gracious here. Um, seems to me, too, that the loss of humidity would also affect the transpiration cycle, thus affecting rainfall, thus coming back to crop yield again. You're completely correct. You're completely correct, Dave. If this is Many people think forests grow where it rains, but as you just correctly stated, it rains where forests grow. So it's it's all part of a cycle that's been completely disrupted. And and the trees aren't growing back, by the way. I want to make that clear. In where I live on the east side of Lake Shasta in Northern California. Historically, we've got 70 inches of rain here distributed through about nine months of the year. Now, other than this last spring where they changed the script and they gave us a significant amount of toxic rain and toxic snow, but prior to that, 15 years of very sporadic rain. In fact, the, the winter of 2021, 2022, the prior winter, we had no rain on my location on the east side of Lake Shasta, where we normally would have had about 50 inches of rain during that period from late December, 2021 till April, 2022, we had zero, nothing. And how soon people forget that. So on the tree planting, because of the UV radiation, because of the sterilized soils, and the sporadic hydrological cycle now, the tree regrowth rate here, 15 years ago, because I I plant saplings myself frequently, I could do 250 in a day, no problem. 95% success rate, meaning 95% make it through the first year. Now the success rate is zero, zero. Nothing makes it through the first year, nothing. The other side has to know what's happening. This isn't some experiment or poorly advised program going forward they have to know what they're doing so then i know it's hard to look at it, uh, motives of other people that you're not directly connected with but there's got to be an agenda that starts to appear do you see one well certainly there, there's many now in, in regard to curtailing production we see a systematic targeting of agricultural producing regions whether flash flood yes. flash drought we have the massive hailstones, which is a direct result of climate engineering. It's called chemical ice nucleation for weather modification. Really encourage your listeners to search the engineering winter section on the homepage of geoengineeringwatch.org. That's why we see so many hailstorms now, such big hail, because it starts the ice nucleation process at far higher temperatures than it would have otherwise started. The, the ice builds much faster and bigger. This is a way of them flash cooling the surface to try to lower temperatures temporarily. But those in power have made no secret, Dave, that they wish to curtail populations, to to cool populations. And again, when populations are mired in in difficulty, weather cataclysm, not enough food in the shelf, it becomes hard to focus on anything but day-to-day survival. And that makes it far easier for those in power to control those populations. Sure, sure. And so, again, this is this is the crown jewel weapon of the military industrial complex, the weapon with which they can bring populations to their knees without the populations ever even knowing they're under assault and then blame it on nature. Yeah, but I, I think you hit on something with the depopulation, something that I've noticed in a different domain other than what we're talking about. But I see the same philosophy. If you look at what this government is honoring, and I'm talking this administration and then the climate engineers of the planet, they honor woke, the pride movement, and I'm not advocating to act against any group, but basically LGBTQ, what they do is they're advocating for everything that doesn't end in procreation. Procreation is shunned. The family unit is shunned. And I know we're not going down that path, but I see the same 
attitude towards limiting the birth rate, lowering the birth rate, as we see here in what you're talking about? Well, it's all connected. Certainly, I, yeah, I fully exactly. agree with you. You, you. you can't separate it. And if we look at sperm counts in, in males that down 50 plus percent now, and again, we know these are endocrine disrupting elements that are being sprayed into our atmosphere. And, and let's quantify how much of this we're breathing. So, so back to the lowering of reproductive abilities and lowering populations, endocrine disrupting materials that we're breathing. It's based on recent peer-reviewed science study. We may be inhaling as much as 20 million nanoparticles of these materials in a single breath. Not, that doesn't mean every breath, every day, everywhere, but as many as 20 million nanoparticles. And let me put this into perspective. You can fit as many as 100,000 nanoparticles across the width of a single human hair. Now let's quantify how much nanoparticulates climate engineering is putting into the skies every year. We've done about 500 lab tests over a specific U.S. state. We're not disclosing that yet because we're working with an internationally recognized institution that does not want to be disclosed yet. But we've extrapolated how much materials based on what's happening over that state is likely being dispersed globally on an annual basis. It's something in the realm of 40 to 60 million tons of nanoparticles being sprayed into our skies. And when we have the smoke situation, like from Canada, where they push that smoke south with by manipulating atmospheric upper level wind currents, they can do this by manipulating pressure zones. The technology is not disputed scientifically. We have ionosphere for heaters like HARP creating high pressure heat domes. I'm sure you heard that term a lot lately, Dave, because mm -hmm. that's the new term that's, again, it's, it's a direct result of ionosphere heater installations. But when we see them blanket spraying on top of this smoke, why? What, what possible benevolent motive could there be for blanket spraying these toxic aerosols directly above the smoke bank that are going to settle down through the smoke bank? Everybody gets to breathe it. That can only be malevolent. So when you hear how bad the air quality is, like in New York and other places, horrifically toxic air, and they're not even counting the nanoparticle, anything in the nanoparticle range, nothing. It's not looked for. It's not disclosed by design. So as bad well, as minute, those... Let me ask you, is it, you mean it's not part of the air quality index that we look at? No, absolutely wow. not. They, they generally test for PM10, occasionally PM 2.5, 2.5 microns. We're talking about particles that are inconceivably smaller. They're not looked for. They're not disclosed. And it's not just particle size they're not looking for. They're not looking for specific elements in any particle size, like aluminum, barium, strontium. They're not even looking for those. I've been in a closed-door meeting, top EPA officials in Sacramento, in the capital of California, told to my face, the entire system is rigged. We're told to test for combustion particulates only everything else goes out the window so as horrific as those air quality warnings are the reality is is unimaginably worse dave um it, it seems like what they've done is a trick in research where they've raised the threshold of detection to such a level that they can say there's no problem detected exactly you are exactly right they do that all the time in fact we saw uh, California water quality stop testing for aluminum in 2002. Why would they do that? Again, aluminum, it's just to make clear to your listeners, aluminum is toxic to all life forms, no exception. And for those that claim that we should see aluminum everywhere because it's abundant in the earth strata, that's also a deception. Aluminum, 
yes, is abundant, but it's always, always bonded to other elements. It does not exist. I want to make this clear to your listeners. Aluminum does not exist in free form in the environment naturally, period. If it's there in free form, that means it's been mined and refined and dispersed. So, again, aluminum has the downstream neurological effects on the human organism and every other organism are absolutely catastrophic. Is any wonder Alzheimer's and dementia are virtually epidemic now? I was just going to get to that because aluminum is, is definitely highly correlated to Alzheimer's. Uh, yes. I've even had an endocrinologist tell me he believes it's linked to diabetes too. Yes. Medical data does back that up. And in regard to Alzheimer's and dementia, it's not just correlated with, in fact, we have the world's foremost experts on aluminum toxicity stating on the record that without l- aluminum in the equation, there would likely be no Alzheimer's in a normal human lifespan of a hundred years. That's their statement. Aluminum core to this equation. Well, I got to imagine people with respiratory illnesses too, like bronchitis or uh, asthma are affected by this too, because their lungs lack a capacity to fight off pathogens that come into their, their lungs anyway. You're completely correct. They're horrifically affected. And is it any wonder that every other commercial on mainstream matrix TV is asthma this, allergy that, COPD, every other commercial. In fact, if your listeners on the days when it's it's clearly hazy, it's not just some mystical summer haze. We have particulates falling down through the atmosphere that they're dispersing sometimes upwind. So you might not see these dispersions going on directly overhead. But on a hazy day, if your listeners go outside at night, when they're somewhere where there's no light pollution, where it's dark, with the brightest light they can find, aim it straight up at the sky and look straight up through that beam. You have to see it to believe it. It looks like you're in a blizzard. It looks like you're in a snowstorm. There's so much particulate matter coming down that you cannot see during the daytime. It's literally shocking to the marrow. And that's how much we're breathing. You know, I've always been surprised that the so-called chemtrails or geoengineering trails are not uh, distributed at night. So people aren't really, uh, that's how I discovered. I'm looking up the sky, go, I'm not seeing normal stuff. I'm seeing contrails come out, but they're not staying contrails and dissipating. That's how I first noticed this in the 90s. I wonder why they don't do it at night. They can hide it a heck of a lot better. We actually do see dispersions at night in places. It depends on the atmospheric conditions. If they have a convective scenario where the heat is expected to rise in that region, in that particular setting in that day, we do see aerosol dispersions because that helps to keep mm-hmm. those dispersions aloft, if you will. In regard to the, quote, condensation trail narrative, massive deception. And to, to this degree, we know that all commercial carrier aircraft and all military tankers are outfitted with a high-bypass turbofan jet engine. It's a jet-powered fan. 90% of the air that moves through that engine is not combusted. That engine by design is almost incapable of producing any condensation trail except under rare circumstances. So even the short, bright trails that seem to dissipate are in almost all cases a dispersion as well. We also have fuel additives as a part of this equation. And that leaves a very consistent, shorter, bright trail, but it's still got additives in it. There's still particulate being dispersed. In regard to the, the more substantial dispersions themselves with nozzles on the wings we have up close photographs of those nozzles retrofit nozzles on the wing pylons aim the exhaust jet stream to make this look like quote condensation we have up close film footage of 
these dispersions being turned on and off. End of the debate. This is happening. They're doing it. And, and Dave, you've probably heard people defend that, well, they saw the big plumes behind the World War II B-17s, and so this is just condensation. You've probably had that thrown at you, perhaps. Mm-hmm. So we captured at geoengineeringwatch.org military archival footage of B-17s flying in formation, film footage taken from one B-17 underneath others, some leaving massive dispersions, some leaving none, and the one directly above that was being filmed, instantaneous cutoff of whatever it was dispersing, instantly. Plane didn't fall out of the sky. That was not just condensation. They had to be beta testing during World War II. They had to be because they launched these programs immediately after World War II over the polar regions. So again, and we have patents going back to the 1800s. So to think this isn't going on is ludicrous. And by the time we got to the 60s, of course, they were more open about it. Project Popeye in Vietnam, again, so successful controlling the weather we talked about. And so for those that think they wouldn't do this again, I asked them to consider, of course they would, of course they are. They would never ask our permission. They never have. And anybody who thinks that they would is simply not living in reality. I'm going to take a little leap here. And if I'm going down the wrong Avenue, that's fine. We'll just exit out and move on. But I talked to uh, an expert on 5g um, and she is an expert, Virginia Farber. And she believes the particulates coming down from the air when they're ingested can be enhanced in some fashion by electrical stimulation that could come from 5G. Have you ever looked at anything like this or anything similar? Well, I would agree. It can't not affect part of our organism. It can't not. I mean, if we're becoming, we have electric inductive particulates in our system. We're an electrical organism. It would have to have an effect. And what we hope is those that are justifiably fighting the communications transmissions, which are definitely dangerous. We hope that they also focus on the climate engineering transmissions because these electrically conductive particulates are being manipulated with extremely powerful frequency transmissions. Dave, have you seen ever, if you look up, you see under certain conditions, you'll see like herringbone patterns in the clouds in the sky. Yes. Uniform ribbing effect. And if you're in the right place where there's overlapping transmissions, you can see these herringbone patterns in in opposing directions, which is, again, meteorologically from any natural phenomenon, it's impossible. It can only come from overlapping frequency transmissions that are having an effect on those particles. Just like when you put iron shavings on a table and put a magnet underneath them, you see them align in a circular fashion. And that's how they manipulate the particulates. We know in the case of the hurricanes, let's take Hurricane Harvey, for example. How did the so-called weather forecasters know that that storm would go where it did and stay there. They knew this seven days in advance that that's yeah. what it was going to do because it's the scheduled weather literally. So we captured a geoengineeringwatch.org and your listeners, I encourage them to search this geoengineeringwatch.org hurricane Harvey. Look at the animations that we captured of those transmissions directly affecting the storm. It has a, they have a repelling effect. So as that storm was trying to move on shore in Texas the frequency transmissions, which energized, held it there, would not let it move. It, it, this is inarguable, absolutely inarguable technology. And they're using this in a, on a scale that's inconceivable. And the larger transmitters, transmitters like HARP, I, I know you know what HARP is in Alaska, Dave. Yes. That's an ionosphere heater. The technology is not disputed. What it does is not disputed, not scientifically. It's a weapon of mass destruction. And that can cause an electrical chain reaction in the ionosphere 
by beaming three and a half million watts of power into that layer of the atmosphere. That electrical chain reaction heats that layer of the atmosphere to extraordinarily high temperatures that bulges the atmosphere up and down. The downward push of the atmosphere becomes a high pressure heat dome because it doesn't let the heat escape. It's pushing that air mass down. And that's also, Dave, how they hold that smoke on the ground in like the northeast of the U.S. for days and days and days. High pressure heat dome above it pushes the smoke down, holds it there. Maximum detrimental effect on populations. They can spray above that as much as they want. Nobody sees it. Nobody understands what's going on. They think they're just breathing smoke. And Dave, did you see the reports of the smoke that smelled like burning plastic? It was in New York Times. And yeah, I saw that. Yes. Publications. Did you see those reports? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there you have it. We don't know what's in that. And, and yes, we know structures are going up as well in automobiles and other things. But you should have far more biomass going up. You normally wouldn't have that far away, that strong of a, a scent that's other than forest, unless there's something else going on. And we have people reporting, even in rainstorms in the middle of winter, chemical scents coming down now and again we know this is in the precipitation why wouldn't we why wouldn't those more sensitive people smell it and they are yeah i'm gonna kind of take another leap here because you've confirmed the frequency thing which i've always suspected was true also but it, it and to me harp kind of borders on a little bit with tesla technology and in mm-hmm. particular i want to go to the tunguska event i never liked the explanation i got i looked at it and i said it doesn't all add up what I'm wondering, you said that they can uh, do a heat convection down to the earth and basically bury the smoke at ground level. That's a slow kill method. What I've often wondered is could heart be manifested kind of like a pool expert would shoot a pool ball off a side uh, bank and then bank it into the pocket? Could they do that with the ionosphere and turn it into electrical heater weapon that would be incendiary? As far as an incendiary or an, or an explosion like Tunguska, and that's a, for, I'm sure most of your listeners know what that is, that the, the Tunguska event, it's very fascinating. I mean, it looks, the timber was knocked down from a central point in different directions. Mm-hmm. It appeared that something happened above ground. Um, it's, it's, it's a very uh, perplexing event. But if I can take what you just stated and, and yes, carry that further, can they bounce this signal off a reflective atmosphere and back down into Earth's strata? Yes. Answer is yes. Yes. So let's take an, what, what is likely a very stunning and shocking, alarming example of that. In the 2011 Japanese quake, we, had, we have MIT, an internationally recognized institution, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, acknowledging that they, they monitored what they called extremely anomalous atmospheric heating for three days directly above the Japanese quake epicenter, three days that they can't explain. And that's exactly what we would expect to see with an ionosphere heater bouncing its signal off the atmosphere and back down into the strata in a seismically sensitive zone. That technology is not disputed. When you microwave with enough power, a seismically sensitive zone, you will cause seismic activity. Again, that's not scientific, scientifically disputed. This is not science fiction. So why would we think that that isn't a core part of this equation? Let me, let me carry this further, yeah, if I may. I we agree. had Japan allying with its regional partners before that quake occurred. U.S., of course, didn't want them allying with their regional partners. After that event, Japan was right back in the U.S. hip pocket. Let me carry this further still. I was personal friends with General Bert Stubblebine. He's the large, highest-ranking U.S. Yeah. military officer to speak out about 9-11 and what really happened. 
General Burt told me that his Pentagon connections told him the quake was intended for the purposes I just stated, for the agendas I just stated, that the Fukushima meltdown was not intended. But when you cause a 9.0, bad things happen. And this is the kind of consequences that they don't consider when they're doing what they're doing. And to add even more to this, we had John Kerry during election flying to Antarctica during a presidential election. Why would he do that? And there's an ionosphere heater, we believe, based on all available data. There is an ionosphere heater in Antarctica. Kerry flew back to Christchurch, New Zealand, again, still during the election, took U.S. diplomats out. Quake ha- a qu- the Christchurch quake happened less than a day later, devastating that part of New Zealand. Same thing in Haiti. We saw U.S. diplomats pulled out of Haiti before a massive quake hit there. What did we just see in Turkey? We saw the Turkish leadership basically throw NATO under the bus. They, they, they don't want any mm-hmm. connection with NATO. Mm-hmm. And literally days later, their country is wiped out with massive set of earthquakes that didn't have the same epicenters. We saw the flashing in the atmosphere. It was noted, filmed exactly what we'd expect to see with ionosphere heater. Again, people have no idea the weapons of mass destruction that that the criminally insane masquerading as our government and, and Western governments, and again, other governments too. I'm not advocating for China, Russia. I mean, every, everyone is bad in this equation, but uh, we are on a fast track for total collapse if we continue on this course. Well, you just took me back with your explanation. I had no idea we were going to go there when I asked the Tunguska question. But you just took me back into Air Force only in the weather 2025. I've read the patents and the patents link specifically to what you're talking about here with earthquake causation. I know one of the signatories and I'm not going to be specific here, but he left the project because he said, I won't be part of inducing earthquakes on civilian populations that have done nothing wrong on their own merit. They're not we're not going to punish a government by killing civilians. And he left because of that. Uh, Good for and he him. actually he actually reached out to me when I got the documents. I didn't get them from him. I want to be really clear. But when I got the documents and published it before they were actually declassified uh, and they were in the process of declassification, um, that's when he reached out to me and he said, yeah, I want you to know how valid this is. And I said, I already know, because I read Nick Begich's book where he took like Eastman Kodak uh, and talked about uh, their mm-hmm. patents for harp and very similar type of uh equation that's why i asked you if it was a weapon and you really took me right back to that that's this is just i mean this is the product of people who are insane um they they truly are if you were to take all that we're talking about because you're just a wealth of information but if we took everything you're talking about here it's anti-human it's anti-development it's an excuse to usher in climate change protocols that may have nothing to do with the overall effect of us ruining our environment and it looks like they want to deindustrialize us, put us into a feudal stage of uh, existence while they proceed to depopulate us continually. Um, how do you react to that kind of statement? Well, I certainly agree with you. And again, oh, okay, that was easy. And, and that <laughs> that comes with from the standpoint of I fully recognize the decimation we've caused to our planet. We've we've this whole paradigm was unsustainable and, and people need to acknowledge that too many people, Dave, thinking dichotomously, it's this or it's that it's either climate engineering affecting our climate and nothing else, or it's everything else and not climate engineering. And both sides yeah. are missing the point. It's all the above. It's all the above, but the, the so-called green technology again is anything, but 
in my neck of the woods right now, they're carving up mountains to widen highways so that they can bring the massive wind turbine blades in for 750 foot tall wind turbines. Scotland just cut down 16 million trees and they don't have very many trees to allow for so-called green energy. How green is that? And, and again, the wind turbines are, are absolutely not green in any real sense at all. In climate engineering, even hampering what production they do make. And, and Dave, I don't know if you know this about a wind turbine. If you have, with climate engineering affecting the wind flow, you have certain optimal speeds for the turbines. If, if, they, if you cut that speed in half, they produce one-eighth of their rated power. If you double that speed, you get no power because they have to shut the turbines off to keep them from being damaged. So again, people have no idea how fickle some of this is. They have no idea in the production of solar panels, for example, they use a chemical called hexofluorothane, a gas. It's 17,000 times more potent than CO2 as a greenhouse gas, 17,000 times. And it's used in solar panel production. And all of this goes into landfills. The, the blades from the turbines are being put in landfills because they're they, there's no way to recycle them, illegally put in landfills, by the way. We have, in, we have a, a couple instances of 75-story high wind turbines falling over. It's just, again, the, the totality of insanity we're dealing with on every side of the fence and on the other side as well. I, I want to call this out. Those who think that fracking is a wonderful thing need to rethink that uh, perspective as well because it's poisoning groundwater forever, and we have now – methane releases and, and Dave you've heard the mainstream media tries to blame the methane all on cow flatulence and so forth right and that that certainly causes a lot of division and polarization which is exactly what you mentioned before with all the other subjects the power structure trying to divide populations with very polarizing issues so they don't see the wider horizon but the the methane from from fracking and from thawing tundra deposits is a major problem uh, even much bigger than co2 and climate engineering making it all worse, not better, because it's affecting upper level wind currents, which is affecting ocean currents. Now we have warm water pumping into the Arctic that shouldn't be there. And we have methane thawing and releasing. Dave, have you ever seen the Siberian methane craters? Have you ever seen those? No, no, I haven't. I would really encourage you and your listeners to search Siberian methane craters. Look at the images. It's beyond shocking. Looks like something out of a science fiction movie. They're circular craters, hundreds of feet wide, hundreds of feet deep. Looks like a nuclear bomb went off. That's methane exploding out of the tundra, happening on the sea scale 10 times bigger. And that methane migrates into the atmosphere and starts to cover the planet like a layer of glass. So it's much bigger. Our problems are much bigger than cow flatulence. Cutting down what, a forest. What's, what's the cause of that, though? Cows, that's a problem. No, the, it's, uh, it's, the it's methane thawing. craters, what caused that? It's thawing. As it begins to thaw microbes begin to feed on the methane and release even more gas. It builds up pressure. It's like a, it's like a pimple on the planet, if you will, a massive pimple on the planet because that methane deposit is thawing and it can't, can, it can't be contained anymore in its non-frozen state. And, it, it, and oops, sorry about that. It explodes, it explodes out of the tundra. So let, let's carry this back further, Dave, the Bermuda triangle scenario, the ship sinkings for how many decades? Mm-hmm. That's, that's methane, deposits on the seafloor that are thawing and releasing because ocean temperatures are warming so radically. I don't know if you saw off the coast of Florida, they just recorded uh, sea temperatures at almost a hundred degrees Fahrenheit. It's literally like jacuzzi water. So that's the ship sinkings in the Bermuda Triangle. When these methane deposits release, 
they tend to release an entirety, a whole field that aerates the water like a bottle of champagne. And the ships have no buoyancy. They go to the bottom intact. So this has been happening for many decades, but now it's happening on a scale that's truly catastrophic. None of this being disclosed, climate engineering making all of it worse, not better. Uh, let's take a macro view of the climate for a second. If we go back, oh gosh, 15 years or so, I used to have foreign exchange students in my Psych 101 class. So it was pretty standard that they come in and take it. Uh, I had them from Germany, from the UK, from Russia, from Sweden. And almost universally, they told me their professors told them they're on the edge of a, a mini ice age that could expand. And they were actually being taught that someday Northern Europeans in particular might have to relocate to Africa to escape the coming ice age. Does this climate engineering, this geoengineering, does it have any effect on a potential ice age bringing it on quicker or more severely? Climate engineering is adding to the overall thermal energy buildup of the planet, not reducing it. They can reduce it in regions toxically, temporarily. If you look at, for example, you may have seen in, in Denver, Colorado, it's happened every year for the last five, six years. In, in the spring, early spring or late winter, they'll go from all-time record highs. It's, it's, they've gone from 85-degree record highs to single digits in snow in less than 24 hours. That's not nature. They use Denver a lot for these operations because Denver sits in a bowl. Cold air is heavy. It's, it's dense. It sinks to the surface so they can create these low surface temperatures. They do that with chemical ice nucleation operations, seeding clouds with chemical ice nucleating elements. They're called endothermic reacting elements. And this is, these are patented processes, by the way. Chinese government openly announced they were doing it. Fox News covered it, MSNBC, Guardian. So we have these temporary surface cooldowns, highly sensationalized headlines. And for a lot of people, even if they're regions like in, in Arizona, where they, I think they hit their 23rd or fourth consecutive day yeah. now above 110. I'm in Arizona. They see these, well, they, you know, the heat that's happening there. And they see these, these flash snowstorms. They think, well, it must be okay because it's cold somewhere. Bottom well, line, globally, um, what do we see? I'm going to ask you about timetable because it was 1985. I remember because it was last year I lived in Denver. And a friend of mine went to a swimming pool where he lived. And it was mm -hmm. 75 degrees at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Comfortable swimming weather for Denver in early October. And by 8 o'clock that night, we had about 4 inches of snow on the ground. How long has this uh, weather modification been going on in Denver? Well, the first patent we see for chemical ice nucleating operations was from 1950. Okay. So, a long, so long I may time. have experienced that so as how a many Denver of us resident. Yeah, how, many of, how many of us have truly known natural weather? So if I can fall back to the, the overall global question of where are we at temperature-wise, if we look at departure from normal high temperatures – Globally, what we see from for a 10-year period, for example, from 2012 to 2022, the most anomalously less warm region in the entire world is the eastern half of the U.S. lower 48. That's not nature. That's from the world's biggest military keeping that portion of the population, the most populated part of the U.S., chemically cooled down to keep them oblivious to what's happening around the globe. So... Well, what I would encourage people, again, whatever their perspective is on the climate, whatever their current conclusions to, again, remember that there can't be no legitimate discussion about climate, anything without addressing this first. 
But when we know now even the very premise of solar radiation management to mimic the cooling effect of the volcano, we know even that is flawed because we now know based on the most recent study that volcanoes only cool temporarily, after which time the negative downstream effects start to worsen the warming within one to two years. So the entire foundational premise for solar radiation management is completely flawed. And again, beyond this, we know that they're not trying to mitigate or do anything benevolent. This is about whether warfare and masking the true damage done to the planet already, much of it from these programs, not all, but much, while ramping up even further, you know, to, tr- to try to cover up some of that damage. David, isn't that not the definition of insanity? So, so we're seeing right now, we just had uh, temperatures, heat index temperatures from the Middle East of 152 degrees. 152 heat index. And I, I encourage your listeners, please don't believe me. Please look it up. Please search that. We're seeing reports of second and third degree burns occurring from people in some of the record heat areas because they're collapsing, falling on the pavement, and getting up to third degree burns from by the time they pick them up off the pavement, they're already completely burnt. And Dave, you see how many car deaths we have now people or pets locked in cars that end up dying of the heat that's increasing radically as well because we have a very penetrating heat now because the uv is so intense because the ozone layer is so damaged climate engineering again core to that equation that when you touch the surface of a car or the interior the the uv heat is very penetrating and that's why it's heating up water bodies so fast as well and, and again, all so many of these roads lead right back to climate engineering as, as something that is making an already bad situation exponentially worse. Have you ever sat back and looked at the totality of all this and say, what's being accomplished here? What's the goal? Uh, certainly. But I, I would, again, there's many agendas and objectives. Those in power have... Uh, many nefarious motives, but I would argue that those are not going to reach fruition on the current course, that they are going down on the ship with the rest of us and all their plans will soon be moot. And this is the part that I I would argue that the cancer itself doesn't even consider. And you mentioned earlier the insanity of those in power. And that's, that's a literal fact. We know from psychoanalysis and this is, this is your wheelhouse too. I know you, you know, I'm speaking to the choir here, but the analysis of those in power, a, a near total lack of comprehension as to the consequences of their actions, even to themselves, just like a drug addict. And they're not going to let go of this power. They're behaving as a cancer behaves. Does a cancer intend to kill its host? No, but the host dies because the cancer doesn't consider the consequences of what it's doing, expanding unchecked and and that's the track we're on because, Dave, you've probably heard a lot of people say, well, they, this couldn't be going on because they wouldn't do this to themselves. You ever heard that one? Yes. And that just simply doesn't hold water when we know how much they've done to themselves already. The 2,400 nuclear bomb detonations contaminated everything on the planet, every living thing. And and we're heading toward something much worse than that. Again, if we have societal collapse, which is I would argue inevitable and close at this point. We have 442 nuclear power plants around the globe that won't have personnel to keep them cool or grid power to keep them cool. And now we're going to have Fukushima meltdown times 442. What happens then? 
ionizing radiation strips away what's left of the atmosphere and this planet becomes a true sister to Venus. And that that's the track that we're on. And that's not even taking mm. into account nuclear warfare, which is probably also on the table. And yeah. if I could, before I forget on the nuclear warfare part, I mentioned the forest fires, the military document and the patents advocating for forest fires to cool. We have high circles in Washington, now, Washington, D.C., openly discussing the, quote, benefit of a limited nuclear exchange to put enough particulate matter in the atmosphere to provide temporary cooling. Is that not total insanity? Yeah, but it stuff comes back to Earth and we have to breathe it and then it gets in our on our food and our drinking supply and... Exactly. Um, and, and that uh, ionizing radiation, again, same same result. It will strip away what's left of the atmosphere. We're done from many different directions. You know, what's interesting to me, too, is we had a plethora of train derailments with toxic materials mm -hmm. that I know that the one that happened in East Palestine in Ohio, I know that got into the transpiration cycle. I've talked to people who've studied this and they said, yeah, it's going to rain back this material on our crops Definitely. In fact, it actually polluted two different major rivers, not just the Ohio River, but it also got over because of the rainfall to the Mississippi River. And I, it just almost seems like they're trying to exacerbate the situation because those circumstances were very interesting. But here's really where I where I want to go with this. I would agree with you, by the way, before you move on, I, I would agree with you on all counts, everything you just did. I'm with you. <laughs> you know, there's no escape for these people. And I agree except unless you consider one thing. If you look at the ultimate goal of transhumanism, it's singularity, melding mind and machine. And I couldn't think of this. This is what they say in their own words. Uh, would some type of AI adaptation to a converted human being, could it make them immune to these changes? Again, I, I would agree that they have many shocking agendas and objectives, but Will any of them reach fruition on the current trajectory? And I would argue no. Again, once once we if we continue on this trajectory, the devastation that's coming is beyond what most would even dare to imagine. We we've triggered about 50 feedback loops on the planet right now. I mentioned methane, methane's only one. And people think that somehow the planet has some magic thermostat and it will always remain habitable no matter what we do to it. That's not reality. That's absolutely not reality. We have a very miraculous planet with miraculous and inconceivably complex life support systems. And when you decimate all of them, you end up with a lifeless scorched ball of rock. So they can have all the high tech uh, visions that they want of what they're going to do. Will it actually happen on the current course? Uh, the data would indicate no. And when, when I talk about collapse, I, I'm not talking about centuries out or decades out we're there we've lost 90 percent of the global pelagic fish population the food fish right now on which two billion people depend 90 percent plankton down 90 percent in the atlantic the other oceans are not far behind insect populations down 80 to 90 percent globally yeah. if the insects can't make it how long does anybody think we're really going to be here it's all part of the same cycle i agree it's just a matter of time because it's part of the same cycle i need to give